Now, when we follow God, we recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord. Suddenly our lives begin to make sense. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are taking the Bible, the 66 books written by many authors over 1500 years, and we are reading it. That's important. So we're gonna do that in Bible Discovery TV today, looking at Isaiah. And Corey is here with Ryan, Corey. We are going to be looking at some surprising elements left over from the reign of King Hezekiah. Ryan? Today I'm looking ahead to Isaiah 53, which is one of the most controversial passages in Judaism because of its vivid description of Jesus Christ. Very good, Ryan. That's good. I had a conversation with somebody about that uh, just the other day in a restaurant. Janice? All right. So the last Fun Friday question we celebrated with confetti because Ryan and Corey got it right and many of you got it right at home too. Today, I'm going to ask a question anywhere from Isaiah chapter 34 through 50. Isaiah 48, verses 12 through 22. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you, assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him, and his way will prosper. Come near to me, hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and His Spirit have sent me. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare, proclaim this, Utter to the ends of the earth, say, The Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Isaiah chapter 48, verses 12 through 22. Isaiah 48, 49, and 50. This is great as we continue reading through the Bible this year. Hopefully you're joining us, but 
If you're not and you need your Bible guide, call us or write us, we'll send you one. Today, we're gonna to focus on Isaiah 48, 12 through 22. Just a few verses here, and we're gonna talk about no peace for the wicked. It is God who gives us peace, God. Now, there are many ways that, humanly speaking, we seek and strive for a warless world. But the Bible tells us the only way to real peace is through Yeshua HaMashiach, that is Jesus Christ. That's because peace begins in our hearts. If our heart is right with God, then God is able to heal us and speak to us. That's key. If our heart is against God, we will be wrong and not able to find truth. That's important. When our heart or our soul is out of place, God desires to put it back in place. <laughs> we must be willing to let him be our Lord over our lives. When people refuse to identify Jesus Christ as Lord of, the, of their life, well, the Bible clearly claims that they are acting out of place. However, when we attempt to follow the Lord and find the Lord, the Bible says that God will find us. Listen to the scriptures, very important. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James chapter four, verse eight. You see, the question is that we need to be asking ourselves, what are we trying to do? Our own thing, like Frank Sinatra did? I did it my way? Or are we trying to do it God's way? Good question, good question. Well, today, get your Bible guide out and turn to the passage. We're going to talk about no peace for the wicked. And uh, if you have your Bible guide, turn to today's page. If you don't, call us or write us, or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and get it there. Now, I, I need to say that we need to pray. Father, I pray for the study of 48 verses 12 to 22. Just a small portion of scripture, but you say so much here. We need to study it and we need to learn I guess what I'm saying is our hearts need to learn, Father. Help us today. In Jesus' name, the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, this is what we pray and we said together, amen and amen. Now let's listen to what the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah. It is something else. The Bible says in Isaiah 48, 12 to 16, listen to me, O Jacob and Israel. My called, I am he. I am the first, I am the last. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. Verse 13 again, indeed, my hand has laid the foundations of the earth, God's hand did it, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. God did it. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and here, who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He shall do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I have brought him and his ways to prosper. Come near to me. Hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. I, th this is incredible. Uh, it's, it's just amazing. God is the creator of everything. That's clear. 
everywhere. He's the creator of everything everywhere. That's just the way it is. That's the truth. It is God who calls his people to succeed. Now, if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord has called me to do things and I'm going to do them. If I have a business, if I am a teacher, if I'm a janitor, if I'm a president of an organization, God has called me to do things. And I every day get up and I say, Lord, help me. And God helps me because he called me. Now that's the way it goes. And so let me tell you that living the life of Jesus Christ is so much better than living the life on my own. Keep that in mind. Now let's go back to the scripture, verse 17 to 19. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants also would have been like the sand and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. This, this is outstanding. When we follow God, our lives make more sense and peace rules in us. That's the reality of it. As Christians or Christ followers, we are elected and called to serve the Lord. Again, I ask you the question, have you chosen to respond to the fact that you're elected? If you hear my voice, everyone who hears my voice, you are elected. God is calling you for him to be your Lord. It doesn't mean that you suddenly become some slave to something. It means that God changes you. I want to tell you something. It is a great way to live. <laughs> There's places you can go with the Lord and you say, Lord, help me. And he does. It's outstanding. I encourage you to invite the Lord Jesus Christ into your heart and be the Lord of your life. Very important. 20 to 22, go forth from Babylon. Flee from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this. Utter it to the ends of the earth. Say, the Lord has redeemed his servant, Jacob. The Lord has redeemed his servant, Jacob. And they did not thirst when he led them through the deserts. That's amazing. They had water. He caused the waters to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. I, I, I'm amazed by this. Amazed. You see, peace rules in our lives when God is the Lord of our lives. Peace rules in our lives when God is the Lord of our lives. Remember, we serve the Lord. He does not serve us. We serve the Lord. He does not serve us. And let me tell you, this, this is all in the Bible guide. And if you want the Bible guide, write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com because this is what God is saying for this time right now. When the world is in such a mess and there's problems, God knows that. People have not made wise decisions. They've made selfish decisions. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can say, Lord, help me to live in this world. And do you know what the Lord will do? He will give you 
an extra measure of his Holy Spirit. Father, I pray today that you would grant an extra measure of the Holy Spirit for everyone listening to me who loves you and who calls you Lord. Touch them today. And in the name of Jesus Christ, this is what we say today, Lord. Help me and God, you will help us. In Jesus' name and every single one of us said together, remember what amen means, make it so, amen. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Carrying on with our Bible study, our assigned reading today is Isaiah chapters 48 to 50. But as I mentioned at the top of the program, I'm going to be jumping ahead to Isaiah 53, which we'll be reading on the weekend. And this chapter, along with the last part of chapter 52, is known famously as the Suffering Servant Passage. And it's called that because it so clearly portrays the suffering that the Messiah would go through. And when all the messianic prophecies in the Bible are all taken together, we're left with only one possible identity for the Savior, and that's Jesus of Nazareth. And Isaiah 53.5, Psalm 22.16, as well as Zechariah 12.10, all describe the Messiah being pierced, which of course he was through that horrible form of execution known as crucifixion. And Jesus' crucifixion is what I really want to talk about today, because have you ever wondered why Jesus was made to die in this particular manner? Was it just because this was the form of execution in Jesus' day, or is there more to it? Isaiah 53, which is undoubtedly the most controversial passage in Judaism, contains some of the most stunning prophecies about the Messiah. For example, regarding this Savior, Isaiah 53.5 declares, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This, combined with all the other messianic prophecies, was only fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, who was pierced through a horrible form of execution known as crucifixion. Amazingly, this Isaiah prophecy was recorded more than 700 years before Jesus was born, and has caused some to wonder why he was destined to be executed in this manner. Was it merely because this was the method of execution in Jesus' day? Rabbi Jason Sobel believes that something as important as the death of God's Son would not be based solely on Rome's proclivity for a brutal means of execution. So what then? Well, to answer this question, we need to understand that through his perfect sacrifice, Jesus was reversing the effects of the curse by taking our sin and the punishment for that sin upon himself. And part of that seems to have also been bearing the physical aspects of it, since virtually every element involved in Christ's crucifixion can be connected to the curse. For example, why did Jesus have to die on a cross, which is also called a tree in scripture? Could it be that since a tree caused the fall, the Son of God also had to die in a tree as the second Adam to reverse the curse caused by the sin of the first man and woman? If so, it also follows that because it was our hands that stole from the tree, Jesus' hands also had to be pierced. 
and his feet were pierced to fulfill the prophecy of Genesis 3.15 that the Savior's heel would be struck, but in turn the head of the serpent would be crushed. And Jesus' pierced side may have made atonement for the sin of Eve, the one taken from man's side, who led Adam into temptation. Also highly significant is the crown of thorns. By wearing thorns, Jesus was literally bearing the physical sign of the curse. But this isn't the first time he appeared with thorns. When the Lord first revealed himself to Moses in the desert of Midian, he came in a burning bush, or more specifically in Hebrew, a burning thorn bush. Clearly, God identifies with our pain and has a plan of deliverance. At that time, God sent Moses with staff in hand as that deliverer to perform miraculous signs. But God also promised that there would arise another deliverer even greater than Moses. The rod which the Roman soldiers mockingly placed in Jesus' hand during his scourging may then be a physical sign that identifies him as that greater deliverer, none other than the Savior of the world. So when Jesus reversed the curse by becoming sin for us and bearing our punishment on that cross, it seems he was also bearing physical aspects of that curse. And just by way of review, the cross, or tree, seems to represent the tree in the Garden of Eden. And his hands may have been pierced because it was our hands who stole from the tree. His feet were pierced in fulfillment of Genesis 3.15. In order to crush the head of the serpent, which is to defeat Satan, his feet had to be bruised. And it could be that Jesus had his side pierced to make atonement for Eve's sin, since Eve was the one taken from Adam's side. Jesus also bore a crown of thorns, which was, of course, the physical sign of the curse. Remember, God told Adam in Genesis 3.15 that the ground had been cursed and would now bring forth thorns and thistles. And the staff the Romans mockingly put in Jesus' hand during his scourging may be a symbol connecting him to Moses. Like Moses, Jesus also was a deliverer who performed miraculous signs. The Bible prophesied that another prophet like Moses, but much greater, would arise. Jesus is that prophet, and more than that, the Savior and God himself. I never really thought this through seriously until I saw this piece. And it really is important to remember that uh, God does things purposely for a reason. That's right, yeah. And he doesn't waste words. He doesn't waste, you know, things that he does in the Bible. And we are presented in the word of God. We are presenting with what God says. And mm -hmm. Isaiah tells us what God says. And, and I had this conversation with a Jewish person uh, in a restaurant about Isaiah 53. It was fascinating. And I love the Jewish people. Many of them have come to know the Lord Jesus when they learn about Isaiah 53. I've read many, many testimonies of that. So, Well, I mean, yeah. you know, Isaiah was Jewish and he was a royal prophet. So you just have to say, well, this is a Jewish person talking to you about a Jewish Messiah to a Jewish person. <laughs> yeah. So that's all you really have to do. So it's really great, great work. Thank mm -hmm. you, Ryan, excellent. Corey. Okay, we're gonna talk about King Hezekiah again today because Isaiah and Hezekiah worked really closely together. He shows up, King Hezekiah shows up in several chapters of Isaiah. Uh, and 
What's really interesting is that historically, from an archaeological perspective, there is a lot of remnants from the reign of Hezekiah. And this is because there was a lot of building activity and a lot of governmental activity during the reign of Hezekiah. We see that reflected, we see that recorded in the Bible. Hezekiah was trying to get Judah ready for the invasion of Sennacherib. And then we see that reflected in the archaeological you know, record. So one of the surprising things that that has been found uh, of Hezekiah is several seal impressions from the seal of King Hezekiah that likely were given out to his top officials. It's surprising, not because it's Hezekiah's seal, but because of the pagan imagery on the seal. But Hezekiah is a great reformer king. So what's he doing using pagan imagery? There is a really surprising potential answer to that question. Take a look. It has been known for many years that Hezekiah, king of Judah, used royal imagery that was Egyptian in origin. But why Hezekiah chose this imagery and how he changed its meaning has been a matter of intense debate. The main symbol in question is the winged dung beetle, found on several signet seal impressions and representing at least two duplicate seals of the king. Another is the winged sun disc, found on storage jar handles and at least one signet seal of King Hezekiah. Depending on who is asked, there are three general answers. In the first, Hezekiah is directly borrowing from the Phoenicians who began appropriating Egyptian symbols like the rest of the ancient world early on in their history. This answer sees Hezekiah imposing reformed religious ideas onto the symbols. Scholars have pointed to Malachi 4 as an explanation. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So then Hezekiah meant to represent the God of the Bible, bringing salvation to his nation. A second view believes that Hezekiah directly borrowed the symbols from Egypt, and instead of a religious significance, sees a political one in Hezekiah's image choice. In Egypt, the winged sun disk and scarab beetle were used to show the unity of Upper and Lower Egypt ruled over by the pharaoh. So then Hezekiah chose this royal image to show his desire for a reunited kingdom of Israel as in the days of David and Solomon. Early in his reign, northern Israel had fallen to Assyria and was left kingless. Efforts on his part are recorded in the Bible to turn the people back to God, inviting even the kingless people of northern Israel to return to Yahweh worship under his rule. The third view thinks that the first two views are too speculative and reminds us that Egyptian imagery was widespread in the ancient world, so it's entirely possible that no meaning was attached to the winged sun and beetle other than its memory as a powerful royal symbol. Despite that, it is interesting that after Hezekiah, these royal images were retired in Judah, a result of the religious reforms of Josiah, or perhaps more likely, the result of Judah switching allegiances from Egypt to Babylon. So this is really interesting to me because there are hints then from history uh, that mesh with the scripture very well that Hezekiah was really reaching for this grand revival of Israel. This idea that, you know, if we all band together now that Northern Israel has, has faced judgment from God, if we all band together once again as, as a united people and worship God and serve God, then he will build us back up. He he will he will have this revival of ancient Israel. Now, of course, 
Hezekiah's efforts seem to have been really mighty, but they seem to have fallen on a lot of deaf ears throughout the country. We see Isaiah still accusing the people of idol worship uh, widespread. So we do see God rescue Hezekiah and a remnant of the people, but it's definitely not potentially what Hezekiah was aiming for or hoping for. Now, interestingly, this also may go a long way. This is a little bit of a reach, but from a human perspective, this may go a long way in explaining then why Hezekiah's son, King Manasseh, went so far the opposite way because to him, perhaps it seemed like Yahweh had abandoned Israel, had abandoned Hezekiah despite Hezekiah's devotion. So now Manasseh was like, well, if that's the way it's going to go, I'm going to worship other gods. And Manasseh is uh, conveniently called uh, a, a, what's he called, Ryan? Your teacher called him? Manasty. Yeah. Manasty. And, uh, but he turns around. I know, I know. He turns around. We're all Manasty. <laughs> it was a great testimony, really. Great yeah. testimony. He turns around. We're all I just, you know, anyway, doesn't God's matter. grace. Uh, yes. Is sufficient. God's grace. Okay, speaking of grace. We need to talk about the weekend, what you do on the weekends. We still have yes. a couple seconds to do that. Sure. So every weekend, my husband and I release a video on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Corey Babechko, and it's a chapter by chapter recap of all of our assigned readings so that you don't fall behind because we know that the assigned reading is a big chunk of scripture for that week. So if you fall behind, check out the recap. We'll get you caught back up. Because we're going through the Bible in one year. That's very exciting. It's fast. So it really is. All right, here is the question of the day. In the future glory of Zion, as described in Isaiah, a highway will be there and a road. What will it be called? The highway of peace, the highway of holiness, the highway of gladness. What will it be called? And in some Bible translations, it's the way. So if yours doesn't say the highway, it's still the same. So is it the way of peace, the way of holiness, the way of gladness? Which one is it? What do you think, Ryan and Corey? Are you representing the people at home? Yeah, we got together on this. Yeah. I think we're going to go with holiness. You're going to go yeah. with holiness. Pretty, so We think that's a pretty competent assertion. That's the one. Yeah. All right. I personally well, think that's very wise. <laughs> <laughs> you would take the highway of holiness? In fact, you? I would. All right. Well... I've given you sufficient time, I believe, at home to be searching through your Bible. And if you didn't know the answer, it is actually based on Isaiah 35, verse 8. It is called the Highway of Holiness. If you got that right, good for you. If you didn't, that's okay. Because now if you're ever asked this question, you already know it. Today, we continue to pray for people who are struggling in this world. There's a lot of people who are, are they, they don't have food and 
a lot of others who are just being persecuted by the people around the world and people here. And Father, we pray today for inflation. We pray for all these things. Help your people to trust in you. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, as they call on your name, that you would provide for them. Help them, Lord, today. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.